Amen. By October of 1958, Billy Graham was a household name in the United States and increasingly overseas. 1958, this was 11 years after his initial Los Angeles crusade that put him on the radar of the world. By this point, he had a radio program called The Hour of Decision that was going gangbusters and everyone was listening. His first book called Peace with God was selling well. By the fall of 58, Billy Graham had already met with Presidents Truman and Eisenhower and become a a regular presence in the Oval Office. His overseas preaching ministry had already begun in earnest. All of this is what makes a particular interview that Billy Graham gave in the fall of 1958 utterly fascinating. Over 50 years ago, one author recounted the interview this way. In response to the question, Billy, if you were a pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would be your plan of action? Mr. Graham replied, I think one of the first things that I would do would be to get a small group of eight or ten or twelve people around me that would meet for a few hours a week and pay the price. It would cost them something in time and effort. I would share with them everything I have over a period of years. I want to give that sentence again. Imagine Billy Graham saying this to you. I would give them everything I have over a period of years. Then I would actually have 12 ministers among the lay people who could in turn take 8 or 10 or 12 more and teach them. He concludes by saying, I know of one or two churches that are doing that, and it's revolutionizing the church. Christ, I think, set the pattern. He spent most of his time with 12 men. End quote. And in fact, it was to a mere 11 disciples that Jesus spoke the hallowed words of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. 11 men. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The Great Commission contains marching orders to plant the Church of Jesus Christ among every ethno-linguistic people group on the planet. And that while that may sound like sociological mumbo-jumbo. I once heard people group defined this way. Simplest way I've ever heard people group defined. A people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of uh, linguistic understanding or cultural acceptance. So as long as language and culture aren't a barrier, the largest group that the gospel can, can run among in terms of a church planting movement So what does that mean in terms of hard numbers? One estimate is that there might be about 16,000 different people groups on the earth today. 16,000 people groups. Nearly 7,000 of which are currently unreached and unengaged. Nine people groups remain unreached in Bulgaria. 
28 in the United Kingdom, 90 in Russia. This may surprise you, 95 here in the U.S. Nearly 600 people groups across the Middle East and Northeast Africa, and more than 2,000 in India alone. There's much work to be done. And when I think about just the stunning complexities about a a thriving church among every one of the 16,000 different people groups on earth, I admit my brain just short circuits. How thankful we can be that Jesus assures us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And even more on a practical reality that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. So 16,000 people groups, 7,000 unreached, 200 of which are presently living in nations represented by members of this congregation this morning. Bulgaria, Russia, UK, US. Here's the question. How can you be a part of the Great Commission? And by you, I mean you. Not addressing the person next to you this morning. Speaking to you. How can you be a part of the Great Commission? You may live here or abroad. You may be male or female. You may be old enough to be thinking that life, frankly, has passed you by. That ship has sailed. Or maybe you're so young that you feel like, I don't know what I would contribute, and my life really hasn't started yet anyway. My question remains the same. How can you be a part of the church's Great Commission? Here's how. Behind the complex symphony of God's global salvation is the simple two-beat rhythm of local Christian mission. Behind the complex symphony of God's global salvation is the simple two-beat rhythm of local Christian mission. Now, whether or not you're a music lover, you're familiar with a two-beat rhythm more than you might realize. It's a simple arrangement where the first and the third beats in a measure get the emphasis, leaving the two and the four open. There's nothing really dense or complicated or multi-layered about a two-beat rhythm. It's far from intricate. It's rather unassuming. It's just boom, chick, boom, chick, boom, chick, boom, chick. And yet it's the two-beat that's the backbone to Barry White as well as Hank Williams From hip-hop to hair metal, from KQRS to KTIS, the two-beat, while simple, is incredibly flexible and can be applied in a number of different musical genres, even employed by the greatest composers of human history. What if you could learn to play a simple two-beat rhythm that would equip you to be a part of the worldwide symphony of the Great Commission? Would you be interested? What would that be worth to you? In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul lays down such a rhythm. We've said it before in this church, what you grow in your fields is what you will load on your trucks. You You can only export what you are manufacturing. You will serve what's in your cupboard. And behind the complex symphony of God's global salvation is the simple two-beat rhythm of local Christian mission. So here's the first of two beats 
this morning. Number one, enjoy the gospel yourself. Enjoy the gospel yourself. Trusting that you have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, listen with me to the Apostle Paul, to these words in 2 Timothy 2, 1, that he pens to his apostolic associate, Timothy. It's page 995 in the Red Bibles. 2 Timothy 2, 1, we read, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Aren't you grateful that this is how the Great Commission begins? Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Feast on the very banquet that you intend to spread before others. Rest in the very promises that you plan to proclaim. Make use of the very product that you intend to promote. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're reminded of this principle every time we step onto an airplane, aren't we? In the event of the loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will descend magically from the ceiling. And if you're traveling alongside a person needing assistance, it's not just permissible, it's actually inexcusable that you wouldn't secure your oxygen mask first. It's a mark of love that you would do that. In order to be of use to those around you on a plane in that situation, you've got to be of sound mind and sound body. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul is going to summon Timothy to make disciples who make disciples. It's a huge ask. It's the theme of our missions conference. It's the theme of this morning together. But before he does so, he wants Timothy before he would ever take a single solitary step toward making disciples, he beckons Timothy to be a disciple. I'm not suggesting that Timothy wasn't a believer at this point. Far from it, actually. Paul is quite clear in 2 Timothy 1.5 where he says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure dwells in you as well. And that's why he can say in the next verse, for this very reason, he calls Timothy to fan into flame the gift that's been given to him. Verse 6, he calls him to not be ashamed of the gospel. In verse 8, to share in suffering for the mission. Also verse 8, to follow the pattern of sound doctrine that he'd been taught. Verse 13, also to guard the good deposit of the gospel from being twisted into false teaching. That's verse 14. Timothy's a believer. But if he's going to be the sort of believer that is poised to contribute to the growth of other believers, then Paul knows that Timothy is going to need some resources. Paul, in effect, is asking Timothy the question, Brother, would you want other believers to be infected with the sort of Christianity with which you are infected today? To use the words of 1 Timothy 4.12, Timothy, your example, your speech, your conduct, your faith, your love, your purity. 
Out of an overflow of the heart, our Savior tells us the mouth speaks. And if your question right now is an honest no, I wouldn't want anyone to be infected with what I'm experiencing this morning, then you really need verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How about you this morning? Are you... Are you enjoying the gospel yourself? Are you growing in your knowledge of God in Christ? Are you making fresh application for the forgiveness of God for your sins in Christ? Are you serving in the strength that God supplies so that in everything Christ may be glorified through you? Hebrews 13.9 says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It's one of my favorite gems in the New Testament. I first learned it from my mentor, Lee Eklov, 10 years ago at our last church. He was having a particularly down day. He was given to melancholy. And we were walking through the building, and we were looking in the kitchen for snacks, (laughs) church kitchen together, like David with the showbread in the Old Testament. And he said, you know, David, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And I could just tell he was feeding on the gospel because he had a message to give that Sunday. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And if you're with us today and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know exactly what he stands to offer you in the gospel. Pardon for your sin. Power to obey him. Pleasure you've only ever dreamed about in the knowledge of God. A purpose for your life that is so far above whatever you're aiming for right now. To be a part of a global mission. To be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Purpose you've never imagined. Come to Jesus Christ today. Get in the game and be a part of the worldwide mission to make Jesus known And if you are a believer, this text is calling you this morning not to live below your privilege. Live in the good of the gospel today. Just the other day, I don't know if it was a summer slump or what, but I was just hitting the wall preparing for this weekend. And Melissa prayed for me at morning coffee along these lines. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We all need mid-course corrections. Particularly this past week, sort of just struggling, suffering, sinning, needing help. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So behind the complex symphony of God's global salvation is the simple two-beat rhythm of local Christian mission. Step one, beat one. Enjoy the gospel yourself. Step two, entrust the gospel to others. Entrust the gospel to others. Now, I want you to hear, because I'm not sure where to work this in, just to hear that this is a a wonderful uh, biblical theme that, that finds its roots deep in the Old Testament. Listen to Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. 
Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Or Paul takes up the theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. First, enjoy the gospel yourself, but second, entrust the gospel to others. Now let's hear how 2 Timothy 2.1 moves in the direction of its design. It's not meant to terminate on verse 1. We're moving toward verse 2. 2 Timothy 2.1 into verse 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's the, the vision, that we've, the four-generation vision that we've been discussing. There it is in verse 2. What you have heard from me, you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations of disciples. Where was that vision birthed? Long time ago. Years earlier, actually, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, when these, first, these men first crossed paths. Uh, Acts 16, verses 1 to 3, describes how Timothy was well spoken of by the believers in these cities. And it says that Paul wanted Timothy, and he took him. That's what the Bible says. Paul wanted him, so he took him. It's just that simple. God loved Timothy, but Paul had a wonderful plan for his life. And the plan was to mentor and train Timothy. Following Jesus together, traveling together, worshiping together, studying and praying together. Equipping and strengthening and writing to churches together. He did this for years with Timothy. And now, at the end of Paul's life, he is calling Timothy to do the same with others that are within his sphere of influence. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men. I think the reference to in the presence of many witnesses has to do with the public nature of Paul's ministry. It has to do with the publicly known life and message of the Apostle Paul. One author put it this way. The totality of Paul's instruction over the years. Not a secret tradition, handed over privately to Timothy, but a public instruction. Many witnesses, therefore, could check Timothy's teaching against Paul's to see if it was apostolic. I think that's right. I think that's right. So what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful Men, not just any men, faithful men. The word faithful assumes that they are at least believers. So he's not really talking about raw evangelism. He's talking about someone who has already responded to the gospel and is in need of some training. A particular sort of believer that Timothy is to look out for and to train up. What would God be saying to you in this moment? Who would he be bringing to your mind right now as I share these categories with you. Somebody who is dependable. Someone who's reliable. Someone who's steady. A responsible, personal follower of Jesus. With these words, Paul is reminding Timothy that he is a limited man 
with limited resources, and so he ought to choose his trainees carefully and invest in them thoroughly. Now, if you have an ESV in front of you, you may see a footnote on that word men in verse 2. I think it's a good note. You have that? It's important. The footnote says that the word that Paul uses, men, can refer to both men and women. That's right. There is a word for male as opposed to female, as you might expect in the Greek language, and Paul doesn't reach for it here. It may be that he's talking about simply males training males, but I doubt it given Paul's broader picture of how discipleship works in the local church. This word can refer to men only, but it has a tendency much more often to refer to men and women, to persons generally. The reason I think this is instructive for us is obvious that we need to remember that Paul had a vision for men as well as women when it came to Christian growth. Consider the way that Paul puts it in Colossians 1.28, exact same language. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone. That's the word for men in 2 Timothy 2.2. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. Everyone mature in Christ. And then when you move over to Titus chapter 2, Paul's vision for the discipleship of women is robust in the city of Crete. He says in Titus 2, 3 to 5, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure and working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So you lay 2 Timothy 2, Two, alongside Titus 2, 4, and following, and a number of things become clear. First of all, men and women alike are to be mentored and trained up in the context of the local church as mature disciples of Jesus. There's also a certain propriety, it seems, a desire for men to disciple men and women to disciple women. I think that's true and valuable and right. But it's also true that this vivid image of women discipling women was written to a man, right? Titus. So, I think, in other words, the, the male leadership of the local congregation ought to be particularly sensitive to the training of godly women and the raising them up in terms of doctrine and life so that they will be able, in turn, to train a whole generation of godly women yet to come. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. So let's land the plane here in terms of practical application here. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul describes four generations of gospel faithfulness. If you have uh, some room to just, we didn't do a PowerPoint in this, but we probably should. Put Paul at the top and then maybe do three lines out from Paul because Paul had his own Peter, James, and John, didn't he? Paul had Timothy, he had Titus, and let's say he had uh, Philemon. Timothy, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that's two, entrust to faithful men and women, there's three, who will in turn be able to teach others also. How many disciples did Jesus choose? Twelve. Minus one for Judas. Jesus had 11 trained disciples by the time of his 
by the time of his ascension. How many years did he spend with them? Three. 36 months on the outside with these guys. That was it. How many disciples did Paul train in his lifetime? It's hard to know with precision. A lot. But if you picture maybe these three, I think of Peter, James, and John for Paul, might have been, uh, you got Timothy in Ephesus, Titus in Crete, then you have Philemon over here in Colossae. Do you imagine that these men also trained others? Of course they did. Remember the words of Billy Graham at the beginning of the sermon, that he would get a small group of 8 to 10 or 12 people around him that would meet a few hours a week and pay the price. Over a period of 36 months, he's going to give them everything he has. Wouldn't you like that? Don't you think you could do that? Don't worry about 8 to 10 or 12 right now. Can you think of three? Can you think of one? One person that you could invite into your life. The most important trainees I have are Melissa, Caleb, and Mia. There's no contest. And we spend regular time working through discipleship. There's also a second tier of folks I have the privilege to disciple as well. Some of whom, and they know it, are prepared and poised to take on others. Now's the time. How about you? Doesn't this vision capture you? Wouldn't you like to be someone like the Apostle Paul in Acts 16? You just find someone you want, and you just take them. You just take them. Spend deliberate time with them. Maybe a couple hours a week. Maybe a few hours a week. With your Bible open, share with them everything you know. Some of you, this filing cabinet that we call a Bible, you put all your sermon notes in, just start walking through them. Walking through them. With your life open, share with them all that you've become. In time, you will sin in front of them, and they will see it. So repent in front of them. You will suffer together, as it should be. Suffer with them. Listen to them. Pray with them and for them. See how God might be planning to use them and then seek to aim them into the ministry that God has for them toward evangelism, toward the church. By God's grace, this vision is unfolding in our church right now as we speak. On the authority of 2 Timothy 2.2, I am summoning you to entrust the gospel to others. Behind the complex symphony of God's global salvation is the simple two-beat rhythm of local Christian mission. First, enjoy the gospel yourself. Enjoy the gospel today. Don't deprive yourself of the gospel. Secondly, entrust the gospel that you are enjoying to others. Next week, one of our church's Timothys, whose name is Andy Kaler, will be preaching his first sermon And I'm going to be right there beaming. Please pray for Andy. Pray for this brother this week as he prepares. It's a heavy load to step into the pulpit. And join us one week from today as he opens the word of God for us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it's so simple. It 
the two-beat rhythm is so simple. It is complicated to see the gospel planted sufficiently among 7,000 peoples. I'm not sure how that works. But I can tell people what I've seen. People that you have drawn into saving faith in Christ. Lord, please give us a fresh vision for one another. And Lord, if someone is is way on the outside of the kingdom, they don't even have a relationship with Christ, so be it. Let's just start having lunch with them. Let's have a vision for them that they don't have for themselves. But Lord, insofar as you might grant us the ability to see faithful men and women, folks that that are worth the investment, that may not even know they're worth the investment, God, would you help us to... Uh, to indeed uh, steward the gospel well and pass the baton into the hands of those that are around us, right in our immediate sphere of influence. I particularly pray, Father, for men in this congregation. They would rise up and and be, be responsible, loving, gentle, powerful servant leaders in their home with their wives and with their kids. God, grant that we would have a whole company of maturing disciples here as Paul prayed for the church in Colossae, every person to maturity in Christ, and you will receive the glory for that great work. Everyone agreed and said? Amen.